I got them. Hey. I've been on. Uh. I've been on the spiritual cleanse lately. Can't tell a man since cause the man's think you crazy. They shady. Don't come around me trying to play me. Cause I am nothing sweet. Don't compare me to Sadie. The difference when you elevate your thinking. You knew better, you do better. This ship is never sinking. I'm always on the rise. The first step is believing. Then I execute the plan with the power of my breathing. Please bring the mindset from all of your achievements. God gave me power. That's like even more the reason. Plenty late nights, early mornings in this season. I be stressed by noon, so I meditate in the evening. Oh God, yeah. my God, where do I find the minds that's like mine? You say you hope I succeed, that's likewise. Well, I hope you do recover from whatever you've been going through. Yeah. Yeah. My God, where do I find the minds that's like mine? You say you hope I succeed, that's likewise. Well, I hope you do recover from whatever you've been going through. Been going through. What you going through? And we're back. Uh, man, football season's over, especially if you're an Ohio sports fan. After our Buckeyes lose this Saturday, this past Saturday night against the Clemson Tigers in just devastating fashion, we're gonna jump in. We're gonna talk about that. Uh, and when I say where I do have Sean Heinberger, the the wealth of boxing and sports knowledge. I got to give him some sports props too, but he is an Ohio sports fan. So Sean, say what's up to everybody and uh, let them know where they can find your blog, man. Uh, always at thoughts of RS.com for uh, all sorts of teams that I cover the teams that I like, plus boxing, non-sports, uh, all sorts of things I think are interesting. You may not. <laughs> but you're always so nice to me. You always, I, I get such an ego boost coming on this show. Oh, you know, I try, man. I try to, I try to throw that positive energy out. You know what I mean? And and honestly, if you guys are um, uh, Ohio sports fans and really sports fans in general, you definitely got to follow the blog um, Thoughts of RS because he, he, he's 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 big time with them. Anytime anytime something goes out, it could be as minuscule as Jordan Clarkson getting traded. You know, whatever it is, uh, he's on top of it uh, very quickly. So definitely follow him. Um, <clears throat> like I'm gonna jump right into it, man. And I, and I'm gonna start. Let's start with Ohio State, you know, because okay, Browns are that's that's a deep dive. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's a real deep dive. Ohio State, right? Um, devastating loss. Uh, number one, because I think we could both agree that Ohio State had the game in hand, but they let Clem they left Clemson in the game because they got field goals instead of touchdowns. Um. The biggest turning point in the game was the targeting call, um, which would, if if it were not called, Ohio State would have got the ball back 16-0 before the end of the half. Instead, it's a personal foul. Player gets ejected. Automatic first down. They go. They score. They score again. They basically score, what, 21 straight, I believe it was. Um, and yes, complete, 20, 21 unanswered, 21 yes. unanswered, completely changed the, the tone of the game, the momentum in the game, um, not to mention took away Ohio state's probably second, third best player, right? Or defensive player, I should say. Um, definitely the best player in the secondary, I believe. Um, and then, you know, you also have the instance of the, the catch slash not a catch fumble return for a touchdown that, issue as well so um 
look, man, I'm gonna give you the floor real quick and 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 kind of give what's your thoughts on what happened, where do you place the blame, and, and how do you feel about that loss this past Saturday night? Well, look, uh, I feel bad. I think there's good reason to feel bad. I think there's good reason to feel cheated. But cheated, when you play a game, you have a reasonable assumption to assume that to, to have a fair game called. I am not. I'm not one of these. You know, the worst thing that you can do for a fan base when you get when you read these guys and oh, ESPN. You know, look, ESPN probably wanted LSU to play Clemson because they have ownership in the ACC and SEC networks. But they wouldn't have been crying the blues over Ohio State because Ohio State brings eyeballs. So there was not a fix. When I read people say stuff like that, you, 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 you come off as uneducated and you make the fan base look stupid. So I don't buy into that stuff. But you have a reasonable assumption to assume that the game is going to be called fairly and correctly. And when you go back and look at that game, every play that could have possibly been called that would have made an impact in the game went Clemson's way. Now, I'm not saying that that was, you know, deliberate or intentional, but it's a fact. And you have, and you're not, it's not unreasonable to say that. All of that said, the scoop and score that didn't count, the targeting, which by the strict letter of the law, it was a targeting foul. We can talk about how that rule needs to be tweaked, if you like. And all the other, the, the other things, you know, should Ryan Day have gone for it on fourth and four on the 30-whatever at the end of the game and, and taken his chances on, on winning there? All of that stuff, everything that you can – that you could say it all comes down to three times inside the 11 and came away with nine points. And for all of that, which we have, which I've just rattled off, you're on their 20 yard line with 40 seconds to go. And you had a chance to win the game. No excuses. Take everything that I've just said as a reason, not an excuse. And you still could have won the game. That's why it's disappointing. But I'm not mad, and I'll tell you why I'm not mad. What Ohio State proved is they all too often you get these conferences, and until you establish yourself, it's a, you know, you're a paper tiger, blah, 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 blah. Ohio State proved this season and in that game that they are – I don't think you can say that the equal of Clemson slash Alabama, but they deserve to be on that perch with them as the elite schools in the game. Even more so than LSU, if L- even if LSU wins, because Ohio State's been consistently the last five years, they're there. So I'm not disappointed because I think they have closed a massive, they've closed the gap in credibility between Clemson and everybody else. And if Clemson goes out and tears up LSU, that'll probably hurt Ohio State fans more, but it'll be even more meaningful because the people will say, yeah, okay. They could have beat them with a break or two with better officiating. So I don't feel bad. But 
at the same time, there were definitely some things go- that went wrong and that should not happen in a game. Oh, it, oh. Ramon, when you play on that stage, you do not ex- – people miss calls. We're all human. But those calls weren't missed. They weren't missed. They were called correctly. We brought instant replay in to correct these things, to correct the human process, to take the human error out of it. And what we've all of a sudden done is when the humans get it right, we come in and change it. We, we change it. We're not serving the process properly. I hope I didn't confuse anybody with what I'm saying. I, I just, that was the frustrating part. <clears throat> I had a guy on Twitter tell me uh, that I was wrong on this. You have a 6-6 quarterback. He's getting ready to take a blow. He's, he's getting ready to absorb the blow, and he dips down. Here comes a 6-foot safety coming in to make the hit, a clean hit, not a missile hit, or like that guy from Oklahoma which about killed that LSU guy in the first game. He's aiming for an area, and you have a larger man dipping down. Tell me how the hell he avoids the contact. He doesn't. Now, you, by the strict letter of the rule, it's targeting. I get that. So let's change the rule. Let, let's say I'd like to see be able to look at intent, because you can't look at that play and say, my Lord, he was trying to hurt Trevor Lawrence. Not at all. He's trying to make a tackle. Was he reckless? No. Was this a guy that had a record coming into it of having several personal fouls? These are things that the rule book could be tweaked a bit that in the future, things like this doesn't happen on on the biggest stage of the game. You had a guy in Sean Wade who's going to be a first-round draft pick with all the things that a college football player puts in to get to that level, the work, the sweat, the tears, the watching film, the working out, the lifting weights, the blah, 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 the student athlete, the whole thing. You did all of that to go on that stage and have somebody take it away on video replay. That's what people, I haven't seen anybody saying by the letter of the law, it was the wrong call. It was the right call, but, they took it away because some clown upstairs buzzed. And, and here's another thing, and, and, and nobody's saying this. I haven't seen anybody read this, Ramon, so I haven't seen anybody write about this. If Trevor Lawrence doesn't go down like a bag of bricks on that play and lay there like he's like he was injured, and he did leave the field for one play and came right back in and, and drove them down the field for their first score, if Lawrence gets up and doesn't lay there, I don't think anybody looks at that play and he's still in the game. The, it was the time that they took while Lawrence was laying on the field. That's when they got the idea to buzz it. And I don't think that's right either. If it was so obviously a dirty hit, why did we have to wait so long to get around to it? There you go. What do you think? Oh, well said. Well said. I'll um, I'll say um, I do feel bad. I agree with pretty much everything you said, but I do feel bad because you just don't 
you don't know how many, you know, you don't know when this opportunity is going to come back. I mean, Ohio State won in what? Was it 15? I believe it was. 14. 14, 14 right? And and hadn't had an opportunity, you know, till this year. That's That's a five-year run. Granted, I mean, you know, there's colleges that never get a chance. But still, you know, when you have an opportunity, when most people feel Ohio State was the best team in the nation if not number one obviously number two and you have an opportunity like that and you have calls that are made that you're speaking of it does make you feel bad because you, you just don't know you, you don't know what's going to happen you don't know what injury is going to happen next year you don't know if you know this recruit's going to be good or, or not or whatever the case may be you know history tells you Ohio State's going to be a, a, a great program of course but you don't know when the next opportunity is going to come. And this opportunity was here, and it feels like it was taken away. Not It's not Clemson's fault. Clemson, they, you know, they don't make the calls. They come out there. They play. They did what they had to do. They made the plays when they needed to make them. They win. They move on. You know, props to them. But for, you know, if you start with the targeting call, yes, by the letter of the law, that is correct. But this is the biggest game of the year up to this point. You don't make that call in that game at that moment. You just don't do it. You're making yourself a part of the game when you don't need to be a part of the game. And I'm speaking to the rest. Ramon, those referees on the field didn't make it. That's what if if you want to talk about something that really infuriates me, that's the thing right there. The referees on the field didn't. Make no, it. no, I get that, but re- the guys in the press, the guys in the replay booth who are supposed to quote get it right and put right what went wrong on the field from the guys in live action got involved and screwed it up. I, you know, okay, that- well, no, no, you make a good point. Let's. This is minds like mine, so we're going to get deep on this. So, you said. Obviously, you don't think there was a fix-in, and I don't think there was a fix-in. But but you're you're telling me, but listen to me, you're telling me that those guys upstairs aren't looking at that play, and 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 the score and situation of the way that game is going, and saying, oh, you know what, that is targeting. We're going to give Clemson another chance right there. You don't think that creeped into their heads? Sixteen nothing. In in the Fiesta, the first game was an absolute dud. I mean, LSU just destroyed Oklahoma. Now you got this game possibly on the verge of getting out of hand. Clemson is basically not doing anything the entire game. That play happens, they buzz in, come on. I'd like to think, maybe I'm seeming like I'm being a Pollyanna, I'd like to think that that shouldn't matter. It shouldn't. Of course it shouldn't. But, but, but. It may have. And, and like I said, I, I am convinced if Wade hits Lawrence and he jumps up. I agree with that. We don't have this problem. I agree with that, too. I mean, there, there were because theatrics at it. They didn't call it. The officials on the field didn't buzz and take a look at it. It was all initiated from the top. And they initiated from the top because they had the time to do it while Lawrence was laying on the field. No, I, I agree with that. And, and, and let's let's go further. That, that, that obviously that wasn't the only egregious call. All right. Another egregious call that's not talked about as much is why in the world was the um, roughing the kicker, not a running into the kicker. 
which was another huge play because it was fourth and six. It would have been a five-yard penalty. They still would have punted because they were in their own territory. Instead, they call it a roughing the kicker, 15 yards, give them another first down, they go down and score again. That, that's a judgment call. I mean, and, and that's one of those that I watched that in live action. And, and I, I think you could make a case for that either way. I think it looked worse in live action than it does when you slow it down. Well, the kicker, I mean, look, the the defender does run into the kicker, but the kicker's moving forward. The kicker kicks the defender, and they both fall down, and they call that roughing the kicker. They're going to call that roughing the kicker every time. Have you ever seen a a roughing penalty on the kicker? Oh, no, no, I didn't expect it to be on the kicker, no. What I'm trying to say is it was more, to me, by the letter of the law, that would it was be running run, into. That's running into the you kicker. You know, and I, I wouldn't have had a I, that that penalty didn't. I mean, I thought there could have been an argument for that, but that one didn't. That one didn't bother me because in real time, that's a tough call to make. You know, it's a penalty. Right, it's for just sure. a matter of which is it, and you know, I can. It's just it's just when every single every well, single close call goes against what, one team. That's where, like I, as I said earlier, it's that's the problem is that you do have a right to have a fairly in in uh, to have your officiating game not only fairly officiated but in a quality manner. And I don't think when I say the word fairly, I don't want it to be interpreted as one side wanted the other one to win. Right, but. Right. When you look at it and you say there were six plays, nah, I'm not, that's just making a number, that, that six plays that turn this game and all of them go one way, that's not necessarily a fairly officiated game. And, the, and So the, it's not a fixed game. I don't think somebody, no, I don't, I think, don't think anybody called the replay booth and said, from ESPN going, you know what? Uh, we're here in TV. Uh, we're hearing everybody s- switch over to CNN right now. Uh, we need to get this. I, I don't think anything like that. No, happened. and but I'm not, I, I don't time. think so. I don't think so either. I'm just saying but, that I think I think subconsciously, I think subconsciously, the re- the the guys up there with Trevor Lawrence laying on the ground like he just took a right hand from Deontay Wilder. So, I think that's. I think that would right there. That's what it was. They I look at the replay again. They look at the star of Clemson's guys, and he's laying on his back, and you got, you know, five trainers out there around him, and oh my God, he must, he's hurt. Well, I wonder why. Well, let's take a look, and then they go, oh God, he lowered his helmet. But I also think. But also, but I also think, and that's I, I. I agree with everything you just said. So I think whoever that is in the replay booth, I'm not sure if it's one person or multiple. Um, they see that. They see Trevor Lawrence on his back. They see what looks like he's spitting up blood, like I said, like he got knocked out, right? So they have that extra time. Well, let's look at this play again. Oh, you know what? That's helmet to helmet. Subconsciously, they're also like, oh, it's not – they're not going to say this, but in, subconsciously they're thinking it's a 16 nothing game. You know, we can make this call, and it's not going to be that big of an impact in the game. That's what they're thinking, in my opinion, and that's why they make that, that call. And now Clemson gets another opportunity, and it changed the entire complexion of the game. It's, it's Ramon, and here's the comparison I would make to that to our beloved boxing. How many times do we watch an underdog win a fight 
and then lose it on a card against a favored fighter, and you look back, and the difference is the first three or four rounds that the underdog wins, the judges don't give him credit on the card because it's not supposed to be that way. Right. No, it's yeah. not going to make a difference for me to give the close round or the or whatever to the guy that's supposed to win because he's going to win anyway. And by the end of the fight, when the guy that was supposed to win hasn't, he gets a decision he doesn't deserve. That is the similarity where you could make an argument that it's not going to matter anyway. Let's err on the side of safety. And the third call, the, 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 the return, the fumble return touchdown that was called well, a fumble. Pathetic. There's, there's no excuse that you could possibly make none, for that. None, and that's just. Uh, I don't. Know. There's just. What there do you say no to that, though, Sean? What do you say to that? You can make for that. Like, okay, yeah. There's no excuse. I mean, the, the, and what's what is the thinking? What is the possible rationale of the overturn of that call? Like, is there any? This is going to be the college football version of the Tom Brady tuck game. Or they're going to change the rule. Well, I don't know if they're going to change the rule, but it's the equivalent that you look at this and you go, this is such incredible bullshit that this is not this football move. And, and this and that, that's the kind of crap that is legislating football right out of normalcy. That, that, you know, even when yeah, I'm older than you, but when you were a kid, you knew damn well what a catch was. Right. You knew what what a fumble was. We have put so many variables into the rule book now that you don't really know. What the hell is a football move? <laughs> I'm assuming when you put a when you put your jock strap on and you put the shoulder pads on and the helmet and you're on the field in the middle of the game, every damn thing you do is a football move. <laughs> That's stupid. Let okay? Me, yeah. The guy caught the ball, and, and I, Ramon, I watched that play ten times when I did the the, the blog. Uh, and if you're interested in my uh, yes, read tips it. on that game, read hit it. me up at thoughtsofrs.blogspot.com. <laughs> it's all there. Yeah. I watched that play ten damn times and broke it down and broke it down and broke it down at the absolute bare minimum argument you can make. He caught the ball and took two and a half steps. You could argue he took as many as four and a half. I'll make it plain and simple. That's a catch. I'll make it plain and simple. If you, he if he caught that ball in the end zone, would they call it a touchdown? More than likely. Of course. The, I mean, three steps, and then the ball's hit out. We see that play in the in football all the time. All well, the time. But to be fair, in the end zone, they'll say as soon as he possesses it, the ball is broken. The plane, the play's over. But possession. But, but I get possession. your point. If he'd have caught that ball at the five and got tackled at the one, that'd have been a catch. That's what I'm saying. But that's possession. You said it yourself. Possession. Possession means yeah. that there, a fumble can happen. Like there's no, there's that's no, right. there's no disputing that. You know what I mean? So they they have zero rationale to overturn that call. Zero. So that's horrible. I mean, there's no justification. Not, you don't even see Clemson people talking about that. No, you know, it was, there's no justification for it. I'm, I'm a little, you know, they blew it. I'm not, you know, I'm not huge blame the ref guy or anything like that. But I'm actually, I was actually surprised because I, I went to a, I went to a Buckeye bar to watch the game, and when I was leaving home, 
I turned on the radio XM and, you know, basically scanned through all the, the sports stations. Right. And really none of them were talking about the refs at all. I mean, it was basically Ohio State had a chance and they blew it, which they did. You know what they I'm did. saying? But but you can't be. My thing is this. Look, you cannot be. You shouldn't have to be perfect to win. And they made a mistake on the last. And, and obviously they didn't. We could talk about the fact they didn't score touchdowns at the beginning of the game. But I'm talking about the at the end. They they made the mistake and they end up losing this game. But they damn near had to be perfect to win it based on what happened in the game. Exactly. They took they took any kind of variable off the board. Yes. When you make calls like that. Great way to put it. Great way to put it. You took any variable off the board when you make a call like that. The Sean Wade thing, you can say, hey, look, you know, strict letter of the law. Okay? I don't like it. I don't like the way it happened. I think the the rule is bullshit. It needs to be looked at. But I get it. There is absolutely zero excuse. The play was called correctly on the field, and they came in and turned it upside down. There's no excuse for it. None. If you want to say that, that's why that one hurts, because you go, you have every expectation to have a refereeing crew to get that call right. And they got it right. And some guy in the, in the replay booth, whose job is to make sure that what is right, what, what was been called wrong is made right. And he took what was called right and made it wrong. You know, and I, and, and, and I got another idea. I, to be fair, I stole it from somebody, but I don't remember who. For now, we have four teams in the college football playoffs, correct? Yes. Why are we not using referees from the conference that is not represented in the, in the, in the Final Four? Oh, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. Because what do we have? SEC refs, right? Yes. Which I hear are horrible as it is. <laughs> well, no, they're all horrible, no matter which conference right, you use. Right, 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 <laughs> they right. all suck. I mean, I'm not going to try to pretend that. But to me... That makes all – I stole that from somebody. I don't remember where I would give them full credit. Right. But, but that was such a great idea. I'm going, like, why in the hell are we using – I don't think the, it, it mattered much, but it looks bad. Why if, – if take the conference that is not qualified of the four, peop, of the four teams in the tournament – and use their referees for those games. That's a good point. I like that. I actually like Take that. Take the Pac-12, say the Pac-12 does the semifinals in this particular case because they're not represented. And then you could say, okay, Ohio State lost and Oklahoma lost. Who is the best crew from the Big Ten, Big 12, and they do the finals? Yeah, I like that a lot. They won't do it. It makes too much sense. But, <laughs> but in, in the end, I mean, I, I, it, 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 I shouldn't have said I don't feel bad. Of course, I feel bad. It, like you only get so many bites at the apple, even for the best franchise or the best, uh, uh, for the best schools. You only get so many bites at the apple for particular players. But I, I felt like they proved something. They, I, pr- they proved that they belonged on that stage. 
which many people, all they wanted to talk about was 31 nothing under J.T. Barrett. They proved that they belonged. When you look at a game and you say, all the things that happened against you, against the an undefeated team, the, the defending national champions, all of that happened, and you lost by one score, and you had a chance to win it at the end. You you prove that you are deserving of being on that stage, and uh, I, I I feel really good about the future. Look, experience is gained. Uh, you only gain experience by doing. And Ryan Day made a few questionable decisions in that day game. I mean, but Ryan Day gained experience by being on that stage. He'll be a different coach the next time they're there than he is than he was the other night. And I think the uh, I, I think he'll he's gained experience. He'll learn from it. And Ohio State will be better for it. And uh, I, I think there's nothing but bright futures for Ohio State and. I look forward to the day that they play Pius Dabo again. <laughs> there is no more pious man in college football than Dabo Sweeney. I know many people dislike Nick Saban. Nick Saban's honest about who he is. Dabo Sweeney is a pious individual. Isn't this the guy that said he would quit coaching college football when – Players begin to get paid. Dabo, I look forward to seeing your your uh, resignation letter shortly. <laughs> God does not care who wins a football game. I, that stuff drives me apeshit nuts. Right. right. Religious, non-religious, whatever. Let's say you're the most religious person in the world. God does not give a damn who wins between Ohio State and Clemson. And if he does, man, you have a severe uh, – you need to have your priority changed, God. Yeah, a little bit. Some, there's some and other pressing matters And if there's not a there. God, then it doesn't matter anyway. I hate that stuff. Yeah. yeah. What a pious – I can't stand Dabo, sweetie. <sighs> Please, go to the NFL. Just go. There you go. See, see I told you I was – you know. You, you like that, you know? There's a, there's some anger there. Good, good. Let it out. You got you got to let it. Out. You can't let it bottle up because then you you know you explode one day. You don't want to. Do you know that. what? Bottling up is something that very few people accuse me of doing. <laughs> I haven't heard that a lot in my life. Well, but listen. in all seriousness, I can't stand Dabo Sweeney. I never minded Clemson as a kid. I, I lived in a, you know, I grew up an Ohio State and a Maryland fan because Maryland's ACC. You know, back in the days where you could root for both of those teams. Right. And it was diehard Buckeye fan, diehard Maryland Terrapin fan. They forced my hand when they joined the Big Ten. And I never minded Clemson. Clemson was always a team that I had no problems pulling for unless they were playing Maryland. And it's not that Clemson's a good team now. There are teams that are that are uh, very good football teams that I don't mind. But I hate Dabo Sweeney. I just can't stand the guy. He makes my skin crawl. He he's like you, Ramon. You're probably uh, of course he's still around. I think this guy's like in his nineties now. The Reverend Ernest Angley. Uh, he's from. He, a quick break here. I promise. When I was a kid, like twelve years old or whatever, 
pro wrestling wasn't like it is today, where it's like on 85 hours a week on 12 different channels. Right. It was on one channel at 11 o'clock on Saturday morning for an hour. Well, I would sit down and get ready to watch wrestling at 11 o'clock. And, of course, you know, back then there was video recording was in its infancy. So you grabbed your popcorn or your sandwich or whatever, and you, you settled in about 10 of 11 to watch the, to, to watch the show. And before that, there was a gentleman by the name of the Reverend Ernest Ainsley. And he was this clearly snake oil salesman, and he's doing the whole healing thing, and he was doing, you know, it, and it came across just as fake as pro wrestling, and that's who Dabo Sweeney reminds me of, the Reverend Ernest Angley. Look him up on uh, Google, folks. <laughs> that's, uh... There's many times I'll watch a Clemson game, and I'm going like, oh, it's the Reverend Ernest Angley, oh, ladies goodness. and gentlemen, goodness, with goodness, his traveling goodness. band of healers. Oh there man! So I'm See, gu- you should have put me on minds like mine on that night. Get I me talking know. about that stuff. I know. So I'm guessing you're not pulling for Dabo Sweeney to be the next coach of the Browns. I wouldn't. I don't want Dabo Sweeney to be the head coach of the Hagerstown Browns. <laughs> oh man! So so um, when did you realize that Freddie Kitchens was going to get fired? As we transitioned about a to month Browns ago. Talk? I, I thought Freddie Kitchens was done when they lost the Pittsburgh game. Okay. I, I thought with the T-shirt thing yeah, and all that, I thought I, I thought at that point there was a good chance. When they lost in Arizona and played so terribly and basically rolled over against a pretty bad Cardinal team, I thought it was probably 90%. Then I started hearing these stories. Well, you know what? The Haslam's are thinking about keeping him around. If they can do well down the stretch, I'm thinking, wait a second. Haven't we just blown a game against Duck Hodges? Looked mediocre against the one loss, against the one win Bengals at home. (laughs) Gotten blown out by a pretty bad Cardinals team. We still have to play Baltimore, and you guys are looking for a big finish? I, I, I actually, I, I had him, I thought there was a more of a chance that they were keeping him going into yesterday than there was after the Cardinal game. Really? Because it was so, that would be so Haslam. I mean, yeah. you know, remember that show? You have a daughter that's roughly the same age as mine. You know, that's so Raven. Oh from yeah, the Disney Channel. Yeah, my daughter watched that stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. I, I just thought that's so Haslam to say. Well, you know, everybody, uh, Freddie Freddie uh, has had a rough first year as a coach, but we have faith in Freddie, and we're going to keep him around. And we'll we we have faith in him with the Cleveland Browns. That is that would be so Jimmy Haslam to keep them. But how do you keep him after that? After yesterday, how do you do it? You can't. I mean, I, I... you lose to the one law to to a team that's got one win. And not just win. They didn't just lose. No, you know, no. they were pretty much. Who is a? Uh, gosh, I'm drawing a blank. Is a linebacker on the Bengals. I wrote about him on the blog. That guy spent more time in the Browns' backfield than Nick Chubb did. I'm gonna have to look up his name now. It, no, it's it, was, me. it was it was disappointing, man. There there was a linebacker on Cincinnati that he spent so much time in the backfield that I was talking to myself, I'm like, damn, I- I'm not sure which team you play for. 
it was it was that bad. I mean, and, and I'm not a Baker guy, and I'm sure you're going to want to talk about Baker. Baker. Uh, but I, I just – Carl Lawson is the guy's name. Uh, Carl Lawson went around – I've never seen this in a football game before. See, sometimes you'll see a blitzing safety or a corner come in and not be touched because a running back doesn't pick him up or a tight end is going out on a route. But I've never seen a defensive end or an outside linebacker not not speed rush around a guy, not bull rush around a guy, just say, uh, screw you, zoom. He did this to Chris Hubbard two plays in a row. I thought, my gosh, is this Lawrence Taylor dressed up as this guy? <laughs> uh... Not even touched. Not even touched. So as, as down as I am on Baker, I, I, there were some reasons for yesterday. But but they were beaten so badly that you just had to look at it and go, I know there is an argument that some people were making going into that game of, can you fire another coach after a year? This will be, what is this, six and six years or five and six? Or, can you Can you do it? And I know it looks bad. I know it looks like crap. I know but can you chance that Freddie Kitchens is not the guy and bring him back for another year and basically throw away another year, like like they did bringing you Jackson back for the third year? Right. Can you risk that? And in my opinion, you can't. As bad as it looks, as bad as it is, you couldn't risk it. And there is nothing that I saw yesterday that made me think that they were a – training camp and an off season away from refining this with Freddie kitchens in charge. Yeah. You know, um, like I, I try to stay away from listening to like some of the main media on, on what they say about things throughout the year. Cause you know, it, it was a common theme, you know, basically after week one, the week one drumming to, to Tennessee, which I unfortunately had to see firsthand in the stadium it was rough. Um, but, you know, get up and, you know, uh, Golick and Wingo and uh, First Take and Colin Cowherd and all that. You know, I, I try to stay away from all that. Um, well, they don't know what the hell they're talking about. Right. Look, they're, they're, national they're, media. They're trying to entertain. National media, when, when you root for a bad team or anybody outside of the handful, the three or four top, you know, the top teams in the game, they don't know what the hell they're talking about. They're all throwing crap against the wall and seeing if it sticks. For sure, for sure. And it, it's entertaining. They don't know what the hell they're no, talking about. not at all. You know, so, you know, obviously you, you hear all that, you know, but like I said, I'm, I'm really good at I'm really good at shielding that type of stuff. I do listen to... Yeah, the, me too. I just don't watch that garbage. So, <laughs> so we're good. Right. I listen to the local stuff, you know, the Cleveland local stuff via podcast. Yeah. And, and I, I also, you know, there's certain people I read, you know, people that I trust. And from... From the beginning, I had, I was pulling for Freddie. I really was pulling for him, man. I, I did not, I did not want, and, and and not just because I'm a Browns fan, but I felt like I, I, I liked the hire because I understood why they did it, and I didn't want to believe some of the things that I was hearing, and but as the weeks went along, I just kept hearing more and more from people that I really trust, um, as far as you know, um, my Browns news come from. And it just kept adding up. And every week it was something different. And and I started putting it together with what I was seeing on the field. 
the regression of Baker Mayfield, the the lack of cohesion, you know, within an offensive game plan. Like, you know, they'd go one series where they, you know, run the ball maybe 40% of the time. Then they go a whole nother series where they wouldn't run at all. And then, you know, understanding down and distance, understanding the time in the game, just all those, oh, excuse me, (laughs) I just knocked my microphone over. Um, All those things add up. And by the time, pretty much, pretty much where you were at, uh, the Denver game was, was pretty, you know, that, that was close. But then, yeah, the Pittsburgh game, uh, that was pretty much it for me. I was like, he, he's got to go. He's going to go. I didn't believe any of the reports that said that they were thinking about bringing him back. I do believe that they were looking for excuses to possibly bring him back. But I, I just I just didn't believe it could possibly happen because they they don't they don't they don't have the option of wasting another year because this was a wasted year. You know, your yes. your quarterback got worse. You know, you you made this trade for the star receiver. He's either hurt or he's not happy or whatever the case may be. Um, Landry, uh, with Beckham, to me, has been a worse leader. You know, I, and I love Landry. I, I love Landry. But I just felt like the energy that Odell Breck, Beckham brought to the locker room hurt Landry a little bit as far as from a leadership standpoint. You know, you're, you're – supposed star defensive end went crazy <laughs> you know whatever the reason may be he went crazy um and look what happened when he left like the defense didn't even exist anymore that defense that played on sunday it might as well been Tulane's defense like it was like there was no resistance i mean mixon could have probably ran for 300 yards if they wanted him to if they would have fed if they would have fed mixon the ball you're probably right I mean, in the first half, they were throwing the ball with Andy Dalton. I'm like, my God, why? That was the key to Cincinnati winning the game, and they're trying to win it with Andy Dalton. Well, but see that—that's something I've knocked on Freddie Kitchens all year. Yeah, he never grasped the concept that this team works best when it's run through Nick Chubb and then later on Kareem Hunt. Instead. He was trying to run it through Baker Mayfield. I and I know, I know a lot of people will make the argument, and I disagree with it. They'll say, oh, you know what? Your quarterback has to be your best player. And to a certain degree, that's true. But if your quarterback's not your best player, you run it through your best player. And Freddie Kitchens never grasped that this team worked best when he ran the when he ran his offense through Chubb slash Hunt instead of running it through Baker. No, I agree with that. And when, and when he went and when he tried, that's when you saw these absolutely nightmarish efforts. When you saw <laughs> the the all these horrible losses were when Freddie Kitchens tried to make it the offense run through Baker instead of run through Chubb. You know, I'll take it even further. I think that Freddie Kitchens gets enam- got enamored with play calling. And what I mean by that is, like, he looked at every offensive opportunity as uh, an opportunity to come up with a great play. Not what's going to be successful. Not let's grind it out. Let's do what we do best. But I'm going to call this 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 great play. So I'm going to run these and all his and all his big plays are, are pass plays, right? So or his stupid ass shovel passes or his 
pitch out to uh to 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 Kareem Hunt on third and six to do a halfback pass. You know what I'm saying? Like I want no, to No, no, you're you're dead on. I want to outsmart the defense. I don't want to do, you know, I'm not going to grind it out. I'm not going to, you know, move the sticks per se. I'm going to show you how good of an offensive coordinator I am. And You know, let let me bounce this theory off of you. Sure. You have a guy that before last season had never even been a play caller or a coordinator, and he, and he takes over when they fire you, Jackson. And he's got people telling you how brilliant he is because he's doing this, and he, and he was pretty innovative with in those games, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, now he's the boss, and he's still calling the plays. But he's still caught in that, I'm going to show everybody what a genius I am mentality. How many times did we see some of these ridiculous – like well, against Baltimore, like the the uh, halfback option on on uh, third and one on your own twenty eight, and then after the game to say, well, uh, we were going to do that because we were going to go for it on fourth and one with a six to nothing lead with two minutes to to go in the half on your own twenty eight yard line, <laughs> you're calling a play on third and one because you're going for it and you don't get it. Oh. That's I, I just think that he he heard all the kudos for his play-calling brilliance, which he did a fine job last year. I'm not taking that away from him. Right, right. But he now, he's he's the head coach, and he doesn't have, this is just my take, sometimes you need somebody strong to kick in. Maybe last year when Freddie Kitchens, he might have came up with some of these wacky decisions, and Greg Williams said, probably turned to him and said, to hell with that. <laughs> what if you want to do a double reverse pitch to the tight end and have uh, the tight end throw the ball back to Baker? What? Screw that. Chub up the middle. <laughs> now that you're a man. Now right. yep. he's the boss and doesn't have anybody to run this crap. He doesn't have anybody to filter this crap. So, he comes up with some of this stuff and there's no one to say, what the hell's wrong with you? Right. Right. No, you're right. And, and I think that, I think that it was a factor. He did not have that strong, strong figure above him to say, what the hell is wrong with you? That's the dumbest damn thing I've ever heard. It's third and one on our own 28. We're going to throw a halfback option. Piss on that. Hand it to the, hand it to the horse. You know, there's a, there's a difference between being a, there's a difference between coming up with really good plays or designing really good plays and being a good football coach. You know, I yes. the, the the analogy I'm, you know, I'm I'm using a boxing analogy here, you know, for, you know, everybody knows we're boxing guys. Um Freddie Kitchens was like Adrian Broner. Like he had flashy hand speed, you know, he, he you know, he throw nice punches, he'd act like he was a really good fighter. But he would never do the things he had to do to win, like win around, like throw punches. You know, Adrian Broner would go, what, two and a half minutes without even throwing a punch because he couldn't land that one shot. You know what I'm saying? And that's how I feel like Freddie Kitchens is. I feel like Freddie Kitchens had all these great plays, all these flashy plays, but never really understood how to win in football, like how to orchestrate a plan that would 
you know, get first downs and move the team down the field and ultimately score and think three or four steps ahead to where, you know, okay, if I do this now, maybe um, a few series later, it can open up something else. There was never any of that. It was always in the moment. What can I do right now to, you know, make a big play or make a big splash or whatever the case may be. Immediate gratification. the, The comparison I'll make is because now that I'm an old guy, I don't play video games like I used to even as recently as five years ago. It's it's like me going and playing Madden against <laughs> a 12-year-old. And the 12-year-old is going for it on fourth and 24 from his own 12-yard line <laughs> because he has that kind of confidence that he's that good a player. And, and I'm just going like, I'm just going to run this ball as much as I can and try to grind out a boring victory. That is what Freddie Kitchens is. Oh, well, you know what? It's, uh, boy, wouldn't it be brilliant if I called a flea flicker double reverse on fourth and 18? And if it works, people will say how smart I am. I mean, sometimes you fall in love with your own bullshit, myself included. Well, I mean, it's as basic as this. How many times on third and one or even fourth and one in some cases did he not have Chubb on the field? More than you just more than a normal football coach would. Right. Like I, I don't care if he's getting the ball. He's not. Getting, he needs to be on the field because it, he's well, number remember one. Remember the game was, and I can't think of the early. It was one of the first couple games, um, where they had a fourth and two. In like the third or fourth, it was like it was in the second half, but it wasn't like. You know, the game wasn't on the line. It was like fourth and two, and you have Baker in the shotgun in, in an empty backfield. <laughs> I'm like, what the hell? This is not JT Barrett who's going to call a shot, you know, uh, do the shotgun draw. It right, is, right. That you just looked at that stuff and go, what are you thinking? Yeah. What do you, and, and you watch this, and you, the more you watched it, the more you had the feeling that this is a really, I think this is a really good guy and right. a good person that just happens to be way over his head. Great way to put it. You know, um, and I still think Freddie Kitchens can be a good offensive coordinator yeah. for somebody. Oh yeah, for sure. But he better be with somebody that has the ability to say to tell him no. Some 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 coaches just aren't made aren't aren't just made to be head coaches. I mean, some some guys yeah. are just made to be coordinators. How many times have we seen Norv Turner be head coaches of teams yep. and just colossally flop as a head coach? Yep, 100%. He's a terrific coordinator. 100%. was a terrific coordinator for two or three different teams. But as a head coach, the guy was terrible. You know, Some um, guys just aren't made for it. It's an organizational thing, too, Ramon. you got to be – being a head coach is like being a CEO. You do a lot less football as the head coach than you do as a coordinator or an assistant. You know, the, basically, a lot of the football you do is on game day. And I don't think Freddie's that kind of guy. And yeah. I, I, I legitimately feel bad for him because he seems like a nice fellow. Oh, for sure. Al- for although sure. I, I, I listen to – I sync my uh, Sunday ticket up with the Browns radio broadcast from XM, which <laughs> means I'm like five minutes behind everybody else when I'm right, watching the game, right, which is right, why right. I stay off Twitter anymore. I get I, I I hear Freddie Kitchens mumble. If you don't wear brown and orange, you don't matter. <laughs> I heard. I bet you I hear that thing thirty <laughs> times a game. 
Right, right, right. I, I will not miss him just for that commercial is no longer around. There but he seemed go. like a really good guy. He's he just did. over his he head. Like, his, his, I, blame the, I blame John Dorsey. I blame the Haslam family. We're, we're definitely going to get there. One last thing I want to say, and um, I don't I – don't, there's two things that, that I heard in the past few weeks that um, really said a lot. And the first thing was from uh, Paul Feinbaum, which I'm not a huge fan of. He's an SEC dude, but, you know, he knows his stuff. But um, he came on uh, the really big show in Cleveland and they were talking about Freddie Kitchens. And he said, you know, he thinks it's the worst NFL hire in, in NFL history. Could not believe that Freddie Kitchens was hired. He's covered Freddie Kitchens since he was in high school. And long story short, basically said he didn't think he went. He didn't think any organization would ever give him a chance to be a head coach based on the fact that he just has a very low football IQ. Right. So I heard that like weeks ago, probably right around the Pittsburgh game. Right. And then I read Jason Lloyd of the athletic and he was saying something like every uh, Freddie Kitchens constantly talked about how Bill Parcells was his mentor. And Jason Lloyd for weeks had been trying to get a hold of or not for weeks since the beginning of the year was trying to get a hold of Bill Parcells because he wanted to, you know, to dig in and kind of know more about Freddie Kitchens. And, you know, he said that Bill Parcells has always been accessible for anything. He's one of those guys that just will talk to the media. And for some reason, he would not he would he declined and would not talk about Freddie Kitchens to Jason Lloyd. And those two things just added up and just told me that. This guy just wasn't ready. He's not a bad guy. You know, he just wasn't ready at this moment. And unfortunately, look, I know, Sean, you would have took the job. I know if they would have offered you the job, you would have took it. I would have took the job. You know what I mean? He was offered the job. He put his best foot forward, and he did what he can do. Didn't work out. Time to move on. You know, I, I read the Jason Lloyd thing. that I, I just read that again yesterday, uh, and, and that, that does say volumes. Yeah. Because uh, Bill Parcells is always willing to, to give a quote and to talk, and, and that, that does say a ton. Um. And I don't think I would have took the job, Ramon. I, I've been begging for a shot at their personnel department for years. Yeah? I, I've been begging the Browns to call me and, <laughs> and let me run their personnel department. I I have, if you go back, and this is where I pat myself on the back a little bit. If you go back and look through uh, a lot of my draft reviews, yeah. Um the guys I would have picked are a hell of a lot better than who the Browns are going to pick, who the Browns did pick. And I know the, it's easy to say to sit here two, three, four years after the fact, ah, you could have picked so-and-so and you picked so-and-so. I was doing that stuff the day of the draft. So if the Browns are listening, I am still available to come run your personnel department. And I will, and I promise you, I will not take a, I will not be like Paul D. Podesta at three million dollars a year to live in California for a team <laughs> in Cleveland. I'll come move into Berea right now. Uh, but in, in all seriousness, uh, I, I just here's the problem in a nutshell, and I mentioned this a little bit today on the blog. If you are an experienced coach. The kind of guy that it's going to take to me. I think you need an experienced coach here. I, I don't. I don't think you can. I don't think this is a hire an assistant with this current crop of talent. I don't think if you if you bring another guy in that hasn't been a head coach before, and you're dealing with Odell Beckham <laughs> and Jarvis Landry 
and Baker the Quaker, we're dealing with – this is not – I don't think this is the guy I would hire, but this is the kind of guy I think this team needs. I think they need a Tom Coughlin type. They need somebody that is a proven winner that will come in and take no crap, and this is the way it's going to be, and if you don't like it, we're not just going to get rid of you. We just won't play you. The worst thing you can do to an NFL player is not play him. Because, I mean, why on earth would you want to stick around a losing team if you say, oh, I act like a jerk and they'll trade me? Well, no, we're not going to trade you. just not going to play it. And, and, and we'll, we'll take your money. And we'll do this and that. I'm not saying Tom Coughlin's the guy I'd hire, but they need a guy that is – a guy that can walk in the door and you say, hey, this guy's won before. This guy knows how to do it. Name me the Browns coach that they have had that has walked in the door that says, hey, this guy knows how to do it. Shit. Keep going, because the only one that they've hired since the new Browns has been Butch Davis, who did it in college. Mm-hmm. You have to go all the way back to a, a coach that, quote-unquote, walked in the door and had immediate credibility with experience and knew how to do it, you got to go all the way back to Paul Brown. Crazy, isn't it? Because all their guys, even the successful guys, were guys that were promoted assistants. Rattigliano, Marty Schottenheimer, uh, if you want to go back to Blanton Collier, all the guys, even though those guys had success, but... The Browns have never went out and got a guy that has been a successful coach elsewhere that walked in the door with the kind of credibility that says, oh, I've done it. I know how to do this. The closest thing they had was Mike Holmgren, who didn't want to coach. No, he was he was already retired. And he took a check. But, yep. but if Mike Holmgren had walked in the door and said, I'm going to coach, he had that kind of credibility. Yeah, he had the cachet, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it turned out that he was a waste of time because he just wanted to ride his motorcycle and eat, and eat lots of uh, seafood. But, right. But if he had said, I'm the coach of this team, he would have had that kind of credibility. The Browns have never hired a guy like that. I mean, I think the closest, the closest, I'd say, obviously Butch from college, but from an NFL perspective would have probably been Romeo, you know, coming from New England. Um, well, you see, now, 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 see, now, I would say, I wouldn't say Romeo. I would say Mangini. Because Mangini at the Jets did have some – there were some sparks of promise there. That's To me, if I was going to say the one guy that was closest to that would be Mangini. Yeah, yeah, but, true, that, true that. But, but But none of these guys come in the door that you say, hey, this guy's won a championship. Or this guy has built a team that's perennially a contender. He knows what he's doing. And, and here's the – so I, to me <clears> – <throat> Almost anybody you hire that's a coordinator type that doesn't have head coaching experience, I'm going to have probably a certain degree of issue with. Well, let's look Josh at Josh McDaniels. I, I say, might, let's look at the, let's he, look at the list. He's the exception. Let's look at the list. I'm pulling up because every every five minutes there's another coach added to it. So okay, as they just added and I'll Brian Dable. Every one of them. I got plenty to say. All right, let's go. Let's let's start with um, let's start with Mike McCarthy. Yeah, your name. Um, that's the kind of coach that I think comes in with some credibility, 
that has won a Super Bowl. Here's my problem with Mike McCarthy. I think the game is evolving, and it's starting to put the West Coast offense gurus out of business, if you will. A little bit of dusty road there for you. <laughs> um, I think the West Coast guys are slowly beginning to be swallowed up by the evolution of the spread offense, guys in more shotgun. They're kind of like the NFL is becoming a little more like college football every day. I, and I'm afraid – the thing that I'm afraid of with Mike McCarthy is – he may be playing a style of football that is beginning to be that is past it as past its expiration date. Uh, I would not have a problem if they hired him, but if they do, remember that I kind of said that. All right, um, I kind of feel the same way about McCarthy, but I do think I do think him coming in with the cachet one, be, having worked with uh, a big-time quarterback and Aaron Rodgers would be great for Baker. Um, I did hear that, you know, he took this past year to basically put together his own staff, and they, they put together game plans all week, every week for this season. So um, at least he's been at least trying to do something, trying to reinvent himself. Not saying that would work, but at least he's being active with it. So I would not be upset with the Mike I'm not that's not my number one guy but I would not be upset with the Mike McCarthy hire I would agree with that he's not my number one guy but he fits what would come in with some credibility I would not be angry he's not my number one guy but he's not a guy that I'd be throwing my remote at the television over all right Josh McDaniels uh I kind of lean towards yes because I do know that he they really liked Baker when he came out. Uh, and I'm willing to excuse the Denver mess. Right. Even you know, it's really tough to say he did draft Tim Tebow. That that is a huge black mark. Tim Tebow in the first round. That is a huge black mark. It is. But the one thing that I'll say about McDaniels is I'm always willing to give a guy a second chance as a head coach. I'm not willing to give him a third chance as a head coach. <laughs> and, and I think he was, he was really young. You know, what I remember most about Josh McDaniel and McDaniels in Denver was they played New England and beat New England in Denver. And he was jumping around and acting like he was like 10 years old and they just won the little league game. Yeah. And when I watched that and thought back later, he acted really immaturely, and I, I, I'm thinking that maybe some of the Denver thing was he was a guy that really wasn't ready for that and was kind of immature, realizes that he made some mistakes kind of like Belichick with Cleveland. Yep, yep. And the other thing that makes me think that maybe with Josh McDaniels is after all of that, Belichick took him back. He sees something in him. If, if, I mean, because look, you look at these guys. Let's think about. It. Look at all the Belichick guys that left to be head coaches. He very seldom takes those guys back. Romeo didn't go back. Um, I, I can't really think of another assistant coach that left for a head coaching job that he took back, other than Josh McDaniels. So, he's risky, but he's the one coordinator. On there, because he has head coaching experience and the Belichick connection and the Tom Brady connection, he's the one assistant that can come walking into the door 
and is going to have a little more credibility. All right. So Josh McDaniels, this is yes. my, this is my number one guy. Uh, this is who I want the Browns to get. Um, reason being is yes, it is his second time from what I've heard, from what I've read, from what I've heard, he is matured leaps and bounds beyond what he was in Denver. Um, I think he's the right kind of guy to instill the right kind of culture with the Browns. I think that's very important. The only downside, and I want to get your take on this, is that if McDaniels comes, Dorsey is 100% gone. And how do you feel about that? Well, mixed feelings. I know Scott Dryden loves John Dorsey. Yes. And, And compared to the parade of nitwits that we've had since 1999 john dorsey looks like he's uh <laughs> the next jimmy johnson uh but i guess i i guess i'm open to seeing what the game plan is around him who are you bringing in supposedly it'd be I, I hear, i've heard the guy that runs the i've heard scott pioli would come in i've also heard um nick i think his name's nick casario who yeah, works casario. for belichick but Bill Belichick hates it when when they take guys. I, I'm not, you know, I, I think that's a lot of the reason that he doesn't take guys back is because it just drives him nuts. Well, uh, did you? Did, let me ask you: Did you see the HBO special with Belichick and Nick Saban? No, I did not. It is tremendous. I highly, highly recommend it. Oh, I'll if check you that are out even a sure. peewee little league football coach, I highly recommend it. Hmm. But one or the other, I think it was Bill, but it could have been Nick. One of them said, I never begrudge a guy on our staff for going to take a head job. I, I, I want my guys to, to want to be head coaches. Right. What I begrudge is, is when they leave and take others, other of our guys with them. Mm-hmm. And I just watched this show just more than, I think it was a couple days before Christmas I watched it. And, that, and when I hear that, that McDaniels would want to take this guy with him. I wonder how much has he matured that if he takes this guy with him, he's probably ticked off Belichick to the point that he's not coming back. That makes me, that made me think a little bit. Are you taking this guy with you? Or are you now? If you want to go out and get Scott Pioli, that's fine because he's a Belichick guy who's not working for New England right now. This other fellow is, so you would be literally slapping the guy in the face that gave you a second chance. That's interesting to me how that plays out. As far as John Dorsey goes, I like a lot of the stuff. I look, I know everybody's everybody's ticked up, is rapping on the be, the Beckham trade. I would have given you. I would have given you Jabril Peppers for a bottle of of <laughs> Pepsi Zero and a free. We know that. To, we to know shaky. that. I mean, <laughs> I, I I would have you know, I would have given him away for a, a value meal for God's sake. Right. right. You, know, you, you had to make look, that deal. You, you have to make that deal. You have to make that deal. Yeah. You have to. Yeah, I, I'm not going to knock him for that. But the one thing I will say is. And myself included, you and I were sitting. If you and I were sitting here at this time last year, looking at the uh, the 2018 draft, and if you look back through the blog, that's what's great about the blog because you know everything I say and do is there, pro con whatever. Mm-hmm. 
And I and I said, say, look, you know, you look at this draft and you go, it had the potential to be arguably the greatest draft in Cleveland Browns history. You know, Baker Mayfield looked like it was the offensive rookie of the year. Denzel Ward was making a charge towards before he got hurt. The defense rookie of the year, Nick Chubb, just misses a thousand yards. Uh, you, uh, the kid from uh, from Memphis, Avery, looked like a pass rusher in the making. Callaway looked good. Uh, other than the rap master Chad Thomas, I mean, you looked at everybody on that draft. You say, "Wow." Yep. And now a year later, you look at it and you go, "Okay, Avery's gone. They they got Austin Corbett was an absolute bust. Chad Thomas, at least he got on the field this year. Uh, Baker was a disappointment. Denzel Ward's been a disappointment to me. Um, that all of a sudden that draft that looked like an all time great draft." Doesn't look so great. I, I certainly don't think you can fire John Dorsey. I wouldn't be thrilled with with firing him. I don't think it, it's a he's done anything that's a fireable offense. But I, I think the I think it's entirely possible that from what I'm hearing, he wanted Freddie Kitchens, and that's what's going to hang him. Good. I think that I think what's going to happen is that's going to hang him as far as his ability to have any input on, or I shouldn't say any input, but a major influence on the next coach. Let's put it that way. So I, be, I well, think I'd be here. Well, I, I keep hearing that, that it's all Paul D. Podesta sitting out in Santa Fe by the golf course. No, I think I think the whole D. Podesta thing is it's it's a tough one, man. I, I think that he he's OK. You just said, remember you were just talking about how you've been trying to get into the player personnel because every time you you make choices, they seem to come out better than the Browns do. Well, that's Paul D. Podesta because D. Podesta is saying certain things to the uh, to the owners and they're not doing what he's saying yet. In retrospect, everything he's saying is ending up coming coming out correctly. Well, we'll get to the Haslam's. I, th- I hope we get to the Haslam's before we're done. <laughs> so I but, think that's um, that's the whole D. Podesta situation. I think well, I personally think they're going to promote him to be like the president of the business side of the Browns. Not to well, not please, for any type of player Please don't let me personnel. get off here without talking about the Haslam's. <laughs> but D. Podesta wants to have a voice in personnel. Yeah, he, of course. Well, I was on Twitter last night. People kept writing me, well, Dee Podesta wanted to hire Sean McDermott, and they hired you. Well, big deal. Everybody I, you know, everybody so wanted much. Hugh, man. So you, you can – anybody – people can talk shit about hiring Hugh. Everybody wanted Hugh. He was the, go, go he was the look, hot candidate at the time. Go back and look at my stuff. I was all on board with Hugh yeah. because I looked at you, Jackson, and said, look, the Bengals offense runs well. They score a lot of points. And he, his one year as a head coach, he was at Oakland, and they went 8-8. Eight and eight. Yep. And it was their only non-losing season at like 12 years. I thought when they hired you, I thought they've, got a, they, they've made a good hire. Now, it took about a month to watch you, Jackson, screw up timing, screw up managing the clock. Screw, you know, it took about a month to figure out that this guy was all sizzle and no steak. But at first, when they hired him, I was all on board with you. But people, oh, he wanted Sean McDermott, and they hired you. And last year, he wanted Kevin Stefanski, and they hired Freddie. Okay, Freddie didn't work out. Freddie was a bad hire. What makes you think Kevin Stefanski would be in any better? What is Minnesota, Yeah, Minnesota's a playoff team. 
But they are the sixth seed. Are they setting offensive records? Are they setting the world on fire? What makes you think Kevin Stefanski, who may very well turn out to be a great coach, but you don't know? I'm not giving Paul DePodesta credit for saying Freddie Kitchens was for wanting somebody else. And, and I still hang him around the neck for the Sashi Brown thing. I, to me, I think that's a Sashi Brown slash Paul DePodesta. Yeah, I mean he orchestrated. And you it. look at those. Te- you look at those drafts, and you look at John. You look at those drafts compared to John Dorsey's drafts, and it's unreal. I mean, well, because oh, oh, yeah. he drafted Miles Garrett with the first pick in the draft. Well, <laughs> hell, any idiot off the street could have done that. And where it is, they want. They wanted. They wanted Trubisky. <laughs> they, yeah, they they're wanted the dumbasses that that could that had Deshaun Watson in their lap oh. and decided to trade the pick. Oh. So, so you know. I, I put D. Podesta right beside Sashi Brown on that crap. I don't see where he's done anything to deserve any more power. But we'll talk about the Haslam's when we get there. All right. Well, let's let's but, let's real, let's real get, quick keep going with the coaches here. See, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I get so I'm passionate about that's this beautiful. Moment, so beautiful. therefore, you got to rein me in a little bit. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm not going to go. There's like. 20 different coaches. So I don't want to go oh, through go all Go ahead. Go through them all. What all the right, hell? Well, let's, let's go I'm quick. A... Let's go quick, though. Greg Roman, are you interested? Yes or no? Love Greg Roman. Uh, the thing I love about Greg Roman is that he's the one guy on that list that has both in San Francisco with Colin Kaepernick and now in Baltimore with Lamar Jackson. I think he would come to Cleveland and he would work. He's the one guy that I think would work – he would take advantage of his players' talent instead of shoving a system around the players. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. He would come in and say, this is what Baker Mayfield does best. We're going to operate with what he does best rather than this is what I do, do it. Yeah, I, I agree. Think I'd be okay with Greg Roman. I like Greg Roman, and not to mention it takes him away from the Ravens as well. Even Which, better. Yep. Um, Kevin Stefanski. I, I don't. I mean, I don't know enough to me, about that's him. Kind of, that's kind of a meh hire. Yeah. It's like if that's the guy we're bringing in, maybe he's great, maybe he's not. But I don't think he has that credibility that he walks in the door and is going to command that that he's got that plus resume. What, plus, what does it make guy? What does it make you look like that you passed him over last year for Freddie? You fire Freddie and now you bring him in and say he fails. Nah, I, there's too much risk in that in that in that hire, in my opinion. Um, yeah, and he may very well say, "Hey, I dance this dance with you assholes. You should have <laughs> fi- you should have hired me to begin with. I'm not even bothering with you." Yeah, very true. Robert Saleh, 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 Saleh. Defensive uh, defensive coordinator, the 49ers defensive coordinator. Yeah, yep. I don't really want a defensive guy to be honest with you. Uh, nothing against him. They've got a hell of a defense out there, but I think the this team needs an offensive mind, and so therefore, probably not. Nothing personal. I think it would it depend on who his offensive coordinator was. Like if you were able to get like let's say a Kubiak or, or somebody like just a great offensive coordinator to come with him, um, I might be I might be in on it because I think they need some toughness at the top. I think that's what well, made Kubi- Greg Williams well, Kubiak good. Kubiak is coaching with Stefanski at Minnesota. Oh, is he? Yeah, he's like the because Gary Kubiak has the health issues and all that stuff. Right, right. He hasn't been a full time. He's like their offense. He's up with Stefanski as like an offensive consultant. Gotcha. So I wouldn't be. But I wouldn't I be wouldn't terribly be upset. That, yeah, but, but I'd I'd like to have an offensive mind if if I have my choice in the matter. But For sure. Okay. Here we nothing go. Nothing personal. He's more than qualified, but. He doesn't quite check all the boxes for me with their needs right now. All right. Urban Meyer. 
Uh, that's a splashy hire. Would bring credibility to a certain degree to the locker room. The key is, how's his health? And this is different because are you going to be Butch Davis and you're going to go, look, you and I love the Buckeyes, but, you know, gosh, if you can't go around and draft all the guys you recruited. And that's kind of scary. <laughs> yeah, Butch, I love did, the Butch did do I'm that, all, man. <laughs> that's funny. I've been, I've been a guy for years that has been screaming that the Browns don't draft enough Buckeyes that they say, well, we don't want to look like homers. So, so in order to not look like homers, you draft look, a lesser guy. Butch took Kellen Winslow over Roethlisberger. Enough said. Butch did that stuff all the time. <laughs> Butch took Who, who's that running back? Warren over oh, Richard yeah, Seymour. What, what was that? Uh, the running back he took uh, from from um, Miami, James Jackson. Was James it? Jackson. Oh gosh. One quick James Jackson story. Go for it. I, I, I was going to Lake County two years ago for their Cleveland Sports Night, and I needed to get a helmet to get signed by Greg Pruitt. Well, I'm living in Hagerstown, Maryland. It's not easy to walk into a store and find a Cleveland Browns mini helmet with, <laughs> with a day's notice. Right. I go to a flea market, and there's a guy who has a certified James Jackson autograph helmet for five bucks. Oh, the nice. helmet itself, usually on eBay, just a blank brown, a Browns mini helmet is about twenty-five. Wow. Five dollars for a certified James Jackson helmet. There you so go. I go home, I take my eraser, I erase James oh. Jackson's signature on it, and now it sits on my mantle with my helmets with with a bold Greg Pruitt number thirty-four. That's a great story, and damn, James Jackson ain't going to be happy about that one. Sorry, James. I needed that helmet real bad. <laughs> uh, Brian Dable. No. Boo. Hell no. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely not. Uh, I remember uh, those days when he was there. Yep. With, uh, with No, no, no. Eric Biden. There's a guy that follows me on Twitter. I think his name's Ernie Green. He's a boxing guy, and he's a Buffalo fan because he's from Buffalo, and he bitches about Brian Dable all the time. I say, gosh, I remember it. I remember when that guy was in Cleveland. <laughs> Jesus, he's terrible. No. Uh, Eric Bienemy. I'm okay with Bienemy, but I wonder about who's calling the play, who's, who's running the offense out there. And I, I kind of believe it's Andy Reid. No, nah, I agree with that. I'm out on by enemy or be enemy, whatever you want to call them. All right, so those those are the coaches. Who was number? I don't. I don't who was your number one? I don't think you stated who who your number one guy was. Or do you have one? I really don't. I, I just have a book. I have a handful of guys that I'd be okay with. I'm okay with McDaniel's. I'm okay with McCarthy. I'm okay with Roman, although he doesn't bring the kind of credibility that I'm really looking for. The fact that he's been in division and they've seen his work with Baltimore, I think the players would respect that because they've seen it. I'd say that of the of the people you've listed, that's my top three, uh, which means absolutely the Browns will hire Brian Dable. That just says, <laughs> you know, that's so helpful. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine? They no, I can't. They won't sell I saw Mary Kay Cabot. Uh, Cabot from the Plain Dealer, while we're talking, has tweeted that they've asked permission to uh, talk to him. I'm going, Jesus Christ, that's who the hell they're going to hire. That would be the absolute worst guy you can imagine. That's the guy they'll hire. Right, right, right. Sounds about right. The guy nobody else wants, the guy nobody else talks to, just like Freddie Kitchens, just like Rob Chudzinski, just like Mike Pettin, the guy nobody talks to that nobody else is interviewing, that's who they'll go after because 
we'll get to the Haslam's in a minute, but here's your teaser. The reason that no good no good coaches will come to Cleveland because of the damn Haslam family. So they have to settle for the second and third tier candidates because the first tier t- candidates won't give them the time of day. <laughs> um, I think I think Dorsey, uh, regardless, is not going to be with the Browns next year. Uh, that's my bold well, prediction. You know, Ramon, I, I like John Dorsey. I think he's basically did a good job. But you, I'm sorry, you drafted Baker Mayfield. Over Lamar Jackson, the All NFL right. MVP. Let's get it. Let's get into Baker. Let's get into Baker. Josh Allen, who brought Buffalo to the playoffs in his second year, and Sam Darnold, who get who's improving by the day. You drafted this guy over all three of those guys. So you know what, John? If you if that's if you lose your job, you kind of did that to yourself. You can't. I mean, look, no, 32 teams or 31, 31, 32, 32 teams passed up on Lamar Jackson. So go back and look at the blog. Go back and look at the blog on my draft preview from 2018 or yes, 2018. Go back and look at it. Is he your, he's you know your number you one guy? Find? He's your number one guy. I, I know he was not my number one guy. I don't want to lie to you. My number one guy was Darnold, but okay. there's a note in that preview that said, if you gave me a choice between taking Baker Mayfield, number one, and taking someone else at one and trading back into the first round to draft Lamar Jackson, that's what I would do. But you're not a Baker guy. You've never been a Baker guy. No. Okay. Not at all. Um, look, Baker, Baker, look, it's easy. It's easy. Uh, we, could, we could rag on Baker. I mean, he had a horrible year. He had an absolutely horrible He regressed immensely. Yeah, so, and some of that's not his fault. Some of it isn't, but some of it is. I think and some of it is, and he's admitted. I mean, I think it's obvious that he did not come into this I, for the first time. You know, Mister. You know, Mister. I got a chip on my shoulder, and this, that, and the other came in. You know, with his head head held high, thinking he was better than he actually was. And I just watching a lot of it. Um, a lot of his success as a rookie was. You know, a lot of it was Freddie Kitchens because yeah. if you look at, you know, I, I watched a lot of these nerd all 22 type videos and crap like that where they dissect blah, blah, blah and give you all these crazy stats. And, you know, when they when they would when they would do a lot of play action and have two tight ends in there, Baker's completion percentage was like 70 percent. And he his touchdown to any interception ratio was something crazy like nine or ten to one. Um, obviously, he he is successful with a good running game, um, good protection, and play action. That's what he's good at. Not five wide. Not let me have vertical routes so I can sit in the pocket for however long and and throw over. You know, uh, and 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 make big plays downfield. That's that's not what he does. That's not what he's successful at. And this year, the majority of the plays were of that fashion. And it doesn't he, doesn't excuse him for throwing for his for all his accuracy problems. But I he, think that's a he, huge big piece of it. He throws so many passes high. He very seldom hits his receivers in stride. You you when people want to knock Beckham and to a lesser degree Landry. Their yards there because they have to jump up to catch the ball. He never hits anybody in stride. 
You know, Beckham oh. has had like one catch this year where he grabbed a, where he took a twenty yard pass. It was in space and able to go because he doesn't. Everything's high. Everything's jumped for. Everything has to be leaped for. Here's my, this is my concern entering the draft, and it's my concern now. You have a guy in college that sir, that had a, had a had a good arm, not a great arm. Played in a system that valued get the ball out quickly and be accurate. And he ran around a lot. Well, now, so so you have a guy who's got a good arm, not a great arm. He's he doesn't have the athletic ability of he's a he's a I wouldn't go as far to say a scrambling quarterback, but he's a movement quarterback. Yeah, that is not a great athlete. It's more like Tony Romo. I say. He's, he doesn't have the arm strength to sit in the pocket like a Drew Brees who's similar sized. He needs to be on the move, but yet in the NFL, the athletes are so much better than they are in college that he can't get away with that. So what do you do with the guy? He His arm's okay. His, he's got a good arm, not a great arm. It's, not a great, it's certainly not a great arm deep, throwing the ball deep. He's not he's not a statue in the pocket, but he's not a fast guy. He's not going to run away from from defenders, and he doesn't like to sit in the pocket because he's not the biggest guy in the world, and he hasn't figured out that the NFL linemen are bigger and faster. Me- so basically, the NFL is a funny game. The biggest jump in the NFL. Is from your second year to your third year because you got a lot of guys that play as rookies and they have success because nobody's got film on them. Now they have film on them all going into year two, and and you have teams, especially in division, that study what you do, and you have all this time to to realize what they do, and there's a learning curve in that second year. You hope to see the guy improving at the end of the second year because they're going to take some. They're they're going to take some drop. They're going to take. They're going to backslide a little bit. The biggest jump in to see if a quarterback is going to be good or not is what happens between year two and year three. Defensive coaches have made their adjustments to what you do best, and have taken it away. Now, can you make the adjustment now to what they're going to give you? Good quarterbacks do. Mediocre quarterbacks don't. I guess we'll find I'm out. I'm not huh? convinced <laughs> unless they I'm not convinced unless they get a true quarterback guru like a Greg Roman or even a Mike McCarthy or a Josh McDaniels, all those guys could certainly capable of doing so. But I don't think it's a slam dunk that 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 they turn this guy around. And and I think he, I like don't think the, it's a slam dunk, but I think it's possible. I think it's very I think possible. It's probable. Depending, unless they I, I, unless they make another more confident than me. Unless they make another bad hire. The reason I'm saying that is because we, I've seen it. Yeah, yeah. Quarterbacks do. You know, there are a lot of rookie quarterbacks that have good years. He had an historic year. He had an extor- historic year as a rookie, and I've seen him sit in the pocket and make plays and do everything that we thought he was going to do this year. You know, plus, but this year it's been completely different, and, and I think it's a myriad of things. I'm not taking anything away from him. He has definitely regressed in certain areas. But 
His line is worse. His receivers aren't on the same page. The play calling's not nearly as good. The play calling isn't tailored towards him. You know, how good would he, if, if the main focus of the offense, and I think of the first Ravens game, where the main focus of the offense was Chubb, and Chubb dominated that game, and Baker looked great in that game because the running game opened things up for him, and he was able to play his kind of game, make his kind of plays. But when they try to make him into Patrick Mahomes, where he's just going to stand back there and throw 45 times in a game, that's not Baker May. That's, that's not, that's not well, a that's, recipe that, for that's success. That's what I said earlier. That, that this team operates best when it flowed through Chubb, not 100%. through Baker. And, and that's, and, what I'm, that's and, why I'm probable, because – it, it's, it's, Look, the line, the, the, especially at the tackles. The tackles on this team are terrible. Oh, I, I think we could get trash cans with, <laughs> with wheels on the bottom that would be just as good as these guys. Okay, yeah. Whether it's John Dorsey, Josh McDaniels, Oscar the Grouch, whoever's <laughs> running the show for the offseason, I think you've got to draft a tackle in the first round, and I think you've got to go to free agency and sign another tackle. Oh, 100%. You cannot come back next year. That's got to be number one focus. Greg Robinson and Chris Hubbard as your starting tackles. No, you can't. You can't. He, 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 look, 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 and and Baker has developed happy feet in the pocket now because of his because of his lack of trust for the offensive line. And, I, and that's understandable. I mean, they're he's they're getting killed. I mean, the Bengals are not. The, they're not a huge pass rush team, and they just killed them yesterday. I yeah. mean, some of this is not Baker's fault, but some of it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, 100%. he was drafted to come in here. He, like the like the story that John Dorsey, oh, you know, I went to Oklahoma, and he walked through the locker room and went, hee-hee, and all the guys, they all started going, hee-hee. Well, big damn deal. He's a senior. <laughs> Half those guys are probably freshmen. <laughs> you know, and, and and so here's the guy who walks into camp and he he bags on Duke Johnson. Like, that's none of your business. Shut up. Yeah. And then that's you know, a, that's a dip, then, that's he, a then he throws combo. the training staff under the bus. And then yesterday, as well, there's a, it's not just us. There's a lot of people in the organization. Okay, fair enough. But shut up. You threw three interceptions against a one law a one win team. Yeah. Please shut up. And then and, and then he comes to the lock. He, all these interviews where he has like that stupid hat that says, I don't I don't know what the hell it says. I think it said legend one week, and he dresses like a guy that's a flood victim for God's sakes. <laughs> I can tell you, said you're a huge fan. <laughs> you know what? You should go. On, you should go on Colin Cowherd's show. I'm sorry. I mean, as a player, yeah. as a player going into. Last year's draft, I had him as a first-round quarterback. I also had him rated, I think he was either my fourth or fifth-rated quarterback. But I had him as an end-of-the-first-round type quarterback. I thought picking him first, I think he even wrote this, if I remember. Something like, I think I wrote that this like the biggest scam pulled ever in the NFL, convincing people that this guy's a franchise quarterback. Oof. Oof. And I still feel that way. I think it was a complete scam that you looked at this guy and said, okay, you're, you're six foot standing on a box. Your arm's not great. Your athletic ability is okay, but you're not going to outrun NFL guys. You're supposedly a locker room leader, and you come in acting like a jerk-off. Tell me what the appeal is. I don't see it. He played very well last year when people didn't have film. Fair enough. As you said, the numbers don't lie. 
historically, you still won seven games. You still, when you look at last year's team, look at this year's team, and it's the same bunch of guys other than Beckham. Well, let me say this. Just because just because somebody did actually a breakdown on this. And when Baker Mayfield was was playing quarterback under Hugh Jackson and Todd Haley, the type of offense they ran, his numbers were very similar. In fact, like eerily similar to what they are this year. But when Freddie Kitchens came in, and I guess it was after the Pittsburgh game, I think it started with Kansas City, all the way to the end of the year, where they did more of those type of the play calling I was talking about in that second half of the year, his numbers rose tremendously. And what? And and you know what? That and that's not Baker's fault. Um, that that is that was at the, and look at what else rose. And, and I don't have those numbers in front of me. Right. But you, Jackson, didn't want to use Nick Chubb. No, no, he was using who was it? Carl- Greg Williams slash Freddie Kitchens did. Yes. So as they did, Baker's numbers went up. And that's not a dig on Baker because, gosh, I mean, you'd like to think good teams have good players other than just one. <laughs> right. uh, so I, I, I know I've probably just trashed the guy. Like... I'm just simply, I'm simply trying to say that to me he comes off as an arrogant guy, an entitled guy that has never had – Anybody say no to him? You know he pissed, he was he was he was a you know anytime he I, I read somebody in the Athletic today. Did you did you read today's article about him? Um, was it Jack? Uh, no, I didn't. Uh, no, he, I don't think there I was did. an incident that he's coming on to the he's like oh with the vendor coming on to the field and you know every stadium you go to you have fans that yell at you you right, know right. you just take it it's part of the business one you know some guy said you're gonna lose to a one in 14 team today and he turns around and starts yakking to it mm-hmm. then they lose and then there's a a vendor a Bengals stadium vendor the browns are coming in going down the tunnel the cops take this vendor and say uh, let this let them go through and the guy's a little overzealous, and he's hollering. He's going, Bengals, Bengals, whatever, you know. It said that he, the guy was screaming, was kind of – he was happy that his team won, but he was kind of way overzealous. One guy turns around, Baker Mayfield. Hey, man, you better effing stop it, man. Let, tone it down. Like, <laughs> you're a pro player. That is – you know – you Maturity, you man. Can't be, you really can't be that thin-skinned, can you? I hope you know, not. It's, That's one thing I hope. It, 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 well, it's, it's in The Athletic. It's in an article today. Uh, I uh, Look it up. I just think the guy has had I, – I, I don't want to go as far as to say everything's been handed to him because when you have his size and all that stuff, there's a certain amount of things that you have to work through to get opportunities because you're not the standard – you know, six three, two twenty five, big guy in the pocket. You know, I, 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 that's not what I'm saying. But there's a certain amount of rabbit ears to him. There's a certain amount that, you know, when guys say, "Well, you know what? I, I read this stuff. It motivates me." I think there's a part of him that it does motivate him. But you can't let everything everybody says to you turn into. They insulted your parents. 
And I think he's got the type of attitude that he listens and hears everything. And, and you can't let – you can't – it starts affecting your play. Right. And your teammates look at you as, hey, you know what? If you can't keep it together because the popcorn vendor told you that you were going <laughs> to lose today, and now I'm expected that when there's two minutes to go in the game and we got to go 75 yards for a touchdown, now you're going to all of a sudden gain your composure? Yeah, that's a good point. I, I just think there's some concerning things to his play. It's not all his fault. The line was terrible. And, and I was reading, I think it's in the same article, that there was a, an NFL, um, uh, uh, somebody who works for an NFL team says, hey, look, his mechanics are messed up because he's, he's afraid of, that he doesn't have the time to throw because of the line, that the mechanics can be fixed if he's willing to fix them. Right. So some of that is a good thing. But I just wonder if, if this is not a situation of, you have a guy that, you know, oh, I planted the flag, so here's a half-ass apology. Oh, I grabbed my crotch against Kansas. Oh, I, then last year he gets fired. It's just you look at all this stuff, and by themselves, they're not that bad. But you add them up and you go, it's not just maturity. It's not a, a maturity versus immaturity issue. It's a composure issue. Hmm. And if you're, you know, it's every every quarterback known to man goes has been in a huddle and they start screaming and hollering to players. Yeah, you better do this and hey, you pick up that blanking guy. But if they don't have faith in you to keep your composure at the right time, they're not going to do their. They're not able to be at their peak. And and I I just have real concerns that is this the guy? And we'll see. He's had one really good year. He's had one really bad year. Yep. Let's see. Let's see next. He's certainly <laughs> got to be the guy next year. To me, for sure. You there is there is absolutely nothing gained by bringing another quarterback in to challenge him for the job next year. No. He's the guy. He's sure. the guy. He needs to play next year. Well, because at the end of next year, they'll have to make a decision on picking up his fifth year option. Very true. So he'll need to play at least better than this year in order for them to pick up the option. So I'm not saying that I rule him out. I'm just saying there's a lot of things that have me significantly concerned. So I would like to have a co- a coach that is experienced. Because if you are a coach that doesn't like Baker, and he was definitely a polarizing figure in that draft. There was a lot of teams that really liked him. And a lot of teams have thought no way. If you aren't committed to working with Baker or think he can be the answer, you shouldn't take this job because you've got him for two years. No, for sure, one hundred percent. Well, let's um before we before we uh, wrap it up, let's get your 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 spiel on the Haslam's. Uh, I'm not convinced that they're ever going to do a damn thing until they decide to sell the team. I think they are the most disastrous owners. The only thing that saves Jimmy Haslam from being looked at as the worst owner in football is the fact that Daniel Snyder still owns the Redskins. <laughs> uh, he seems to be a guy that listens to whoever he talks to last before he makes a decision. If yeah, yeah. And I was reading, well, you know, uh, D and I, now we're listening to your wife? I don't really want to listen to you. What the hell do you know? 
Now we're listening to your wife? That's not a male-female thing. That's like, damn, you don't even know what the hell you're talking about. Now we're going to listen to somebody that knows even less than you? As long as they're the owners of the team, until the Browns can turn this around, which I don't know if it's even possible. Ramon, let's, let's, let's do this, okay? Mm-hmm. You are a hot uh, prospect head coach. You are a young coach, and you're 40 years old, and you're the, you're, the Seahawks are really good, and you're, all, they're, you're their offensive coordinator. And there's six openings in the league, and one of them is the Cleveland Browns. All six of them contact you. Let's say the Carolina Panthers, who have a, who have been to two Super Bowls, are open. Let's say uh, there's the Kansas City Chiefs, who have a really good team, and Andy Reid, like you know, gets indigestion from eating too much Wendy's, and he decides to retire. And you know, and there's a you know the Chargers stink, so they fire their guy. And there's a couple different openings of teams of variable quality. <clears throat> and then you got the Cleveland Browns, who fire people after a year who don't seem to stick to any kind of organizational philosophy more than two years are run by the guy who has, who has to, that is so insecure that he's involved in a way to get kickbacks from gas stations. Like you can't make money at gas stations with truckers. You have all of this stuff and now you have the wife involved. You know, you don't, why on earth would Ramon Malpica say, you know what, I want the Cleveland Browns above all of these guys? I mean... That's your biggest problem. If they get Josh McDaniels, it's going to be because Josh McDaniels is from Canton. It's not going to be because Josh McDaniels wants to work for Jimmy Haslam. It's because no. Josh McDaniels is from Canton and grew up a Cleveland Browns fan and wants it for his hometown team. It is not going to be because he wants to work for Jimmy and D. Haslam. And... Short of turning this team around, that's the way it's going to be. And I don't see any indication that when they hired Jimmy Haslam, Ramon, I thought, or I'm sorry, when he bought the team, I shouldn't say hired. He had been a small minority owner of the Steelers, the bastion of stability the Pittsburgh Steelers I, I thought he'll come in and he'll clean house of the home green gang and he'll pick somebody and he'll you know for good bad or indifferent we'll be stuck with that guy for a couple of years because this is how he's learned NFL football from the Pittsburgh Steelers and it's been the exact opposite Zero patience, zero building. Listen to the last guy. Well, Sashi Brown says. Well, Paul D. Podesta says. Well, Joe, Joe Banner said. Mike Lombardi says. Why on earth, if you are a hot candidate, would you want to come work for these guys? And you look at the lat, like, well, like I said earlier, look at the coaches that Jimmy Haslam has hired. Rob Chazinski. A guy no, it was not a guy that was interviewing with other teams. Mike Pettin, nobody interviewed Mike Pettin. Hugh Jackson was somewhat. I mean, there were certain te- he talked to a certain teams, but and he was a a reasonably hot hire. But a lot of teams figured Hugh Jackson was just waiting for Marvin Lewis to leave. 
the Bengals. So not everybody messed with him, but it was a reasonably hot iron. Freddie Kitchens. Nobody else was talking to Freddie Kitchens. And I think some of that is is the top guys do not want to come to Cleveland because there's no stability, and they think Jimmy Haslam is a meddler that is not going to leave them alone to run their program. At Washington, for whatever you want to think about Daniel Snyder, he pays those guys very well. And you come to Cleveland, and that's what a lot of these guys look at the Redskins as, that's your retirement contract. You're going to get paid real well for a couple years, and that'll be the money that you live off of the rest of your life because you'll be overpaid to put up with Daniel Snyder's crap. Well, the Browns don't necessarily do that. They don't pay you that well compared to the Redskins because they don't go get name guys. They go get the second and third tier assistants. We will see a lot with who takes this Cleveland Browns job. If we get a Brian Dayball there's no hope for this franchise because that means Jimmy Haslam has his fingers right in the middle of it. If you're able to get a Josh McDaniels, well, there's a little bit of hope because I can't imagine he would come here without Jimmy Haslam staying the hell out of it. But who's to say that he's going to keep his word and stay the hell out of it? I'm sure he told John Dorsey that. I'm sure he told Hugh Jackson that. I'm sure he told Sashi Brown that. What makes you confident that he's going to stay the hell out of it? So good people are not going to want to come to work here. So if the next hire isn't someone that has some experience and confidence that you think can turn this thing around, the Cleveland Browns are going to be what the Washington Redskins are. Daniel Snyder's owned the team for 20 years. And it's not, you know, as long as Jimmy Haslam wants to own the Cleveland Browns, you just get used to losing, and that's the way it is. It's hard to say that when you look at how crappy they've been but it's going to it's not going to get any better as long as Jimmy Haslam hires the team, owns the team, as long as Jimmy Haslam can't keep his fingers out of the pie. Well, damn. <laughs> There's no hope for us then. No, I, I agree with everything you said. Haslam's have been a disaster, um, absolute disaster. Um I don't question their hunger to win, you know, but I just don't think Jimmy can stop being Jimmy, you know. Um, I would agree with that. I don't think – I think they want to win. I, yeah. I don't think – I don't think – but you know what, Ramon? A lot of times the worst owners do want to win. That's why they can't stay out of it. They yeah. want to win so bad that they can't stay out of it and do the right thing. I think the... football's different than baseball. Baseball, you get some of these crappy owners like like the Dolans in Cleveland mm-hmm. and the tightwad Bob Nutting in Pittsburgh. Those guys look at it and say, I'm just content. I don't care. You know, winning's nice, but I'm just content to cash my, cash my money and move on. I don't think the football guys are like that. I think they want to win. They just don't know how, and they can't control That's themselves. That's the kicker. They, he does. They think it's like a normal business where I'll just get involved and I'll take over and I'll talk to this exactly. guy and I'll do it's not like that. Exactly. And I think um I think one of the biggest things that I'm starting to see, uh, and hopefully it will continue, is D, his wife, getting more involved. Um and I think You want D more involved I or want, you, are you I want her more involved. She's the more level headed of the two. Um she 
unfortunately, you know, well, some people think it's unfortunate. She's a big deep. Uh, she's a big Podesta guy. Our girl, I should say. <laughs> she is pushing for Podesta to have a bigger voice. Um, but she seems to be more level headed to where, as I think Jimmy is a more emotional person um, and, and meddles way too much. I will say this, though, as far as you're right, we'll, we'll find out a lot about this coaching hire. Um, but I think it also comes down. You, you, you talked about the hot prospect and where he wants to go. I think it also comes down to the players. And that's one thing that the Browns have that they didn't have in those previous hires prior to the kitchens one. But that's what, a terrific point is there they are didn't selling points here. Yes, there are selling before. points that, you know, yes, you know, a lot of coaches do feel there's something with Mayfield. You got a franchise defensive end. If you can keep his head straight, you know what I'm saying? You have two great receivers, two amazing running backs, um, cap room, you know what I'm saying? Uh, two, two young cornerbacks. I mean, you have cornerstones beside, you know, on this franchise. So I think that helps in that respect. And hopefully that can overcome the Haslam's. Um, but we'll see. Only time will tell. That is man. a terrific point. There are things this time that they can sell that they couldn't in the past. Correct. Yeah. That exactly. gives me a little bit of hope. And, and, you know, I mean, I, I wish I was, it's, it was, it's not a male female thing with, I, with, uh, I just don't see what D Haslam brings to the table that any owner. I wouldn't care if if it was uh, if we were talking that D Haslam was the owner and Jimmy Haslam. It's like I wish you both would just stay the hell out of it. You guys were the ones. That, these were the people that thought it was such a great idea to change the uniforms into this garbage that they wear every week. And they're changing again next year. So well, let's hope they change them back to what they were. Yeah, I mean, but, I think it comes. I, I think it comes down to like when you have a two-part owner team, and and one can balance out the other. You know, if if Jimmy's, if Jimmy's, if the ownership is one hundred percent Jimmy, and he's meddling, and he's extremely emotional, and you know, he's so extremely hands-on, and then you have the other side of the ownership that can balance that out and rein him in. That I think that can only do well for the Browns, in my opinion. I could be wrong. I mean, who knows? She could be the orchestrator of all this shit, but. From what I hear, well, she seems know, to be the more level I would level just headed. like to see both of them, you know, I, 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 it's been so long since I've talked to you. I don't know if it's if I told you this or if I told Fred Landucci this earlier. I, if you're going to be somebody, if you want to be involved, it's your team. You have the right. You paid the oh, yeah. money, okay? You paid almost but, a bill for it. Okay, but if you're going to – if you're going to want to – if you're – if you're going to want to have a big voice in personnel and all this stuff, then be Jerry Jones and say, my team, I'm the general manager. I'm making decisions. If you don't like it, your problem, it's my team. If you, if you don't, then stay the hell out of it. And oh, Ramon, I, this is the, this is what I told my buddy, Fred, you're, you're, you're uh, tomorrow. Ramon Malpica buys a local restaurant. Okay. Now you can do this one of two ways. You can go in and say, I'm going to run the restaurant and I'm going to be the manager and I'm going to be handling the books and I'm going to handle the personnel and I'm going to hire and fire and I'm going to do all that. And that's one way to run it. The other way to run it is I'm going to hire a really good manager and I'm going to let the manager do all this stuff and he's going to be paid to do it because he's good at it. 
and I'm going to sit back and I'm going to own the restaurant. I'll come in and I'll have a meal here and there. I'm the owner. I'll get the profits, but I'm letting this guy run the day-to-day operations. You can do A or you can do B. Well, the Haslam's do C, which is neither. They want to be involved, but they don't want to be involved to the point that they are actually doing what a Jerry Jones would do. But they don't want to let their people that they hire do their damn jobs. You can't have it both. A little, you can't be half pregnant, Ramon. That's true. That is 100%. You are or you aren't. You are either the owner or you're running the franchise. You can't be half and half. And that's what they're trying to do. Oh, man. Well, it had to end at some point, man. We're, we're about almost two hours in. Three hours total now, on all the podcast. Now that I've pissed off half of the Browns fans... Oh no, man! I, 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 I'm you with spoke you. a lot of truth. I feel man. your pain. You spoke a lot of truth, man. Um, but you know, uh, just as a saving grace, after we get off this call, it looks like um, Terrence Crawford and Javante uh, Tate Davis have been going at it on Twitter. So we can go read all that stuff once we get off of here. I did see earlier today. Terrence Crawford said something like, uh, "You look like crap against a guy I knocked out ten years ago and hadn't won a big fight since he fought me." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so that information does not surprise me, by the way. That's yeah, it looks pretty interesting. I can't wait to dive in. But look, man, I'm glad you came on the the podcast, man. It was it was great. We got to do this. We got to do um, uh, this more often, especially with the sports angle on Minds Like Minds. And I know all you guys out there love hearing it. So, um, I, well, I hope so anyway. But I appreciate <laughs> you having me on. It's always a blast when we get to talk about this stuff. Yeah, you can follow Sean on Twitter at Thoughts of RS. And Sean, one more time, man, what's your website? Uh, thoughtsofrs.blogspot.com please try to be uh, easy on me when you hear something <laughs> after you've heard what I've said tonight I've tried to tell the truth anyway yeah, if you're a Baker Mayfield fan I'm sorry I know we just lost all of Oklahoma so it's all good man anyway Boomer sooner baby <laughs> exactly exactly you can follow me on Twitter at RL Melpica uh, follow me on Instagram at uh, RL underscore Melpica and if you enjoy the podcast Minds Like Minds join our group Minds Like Minds just search it on Facebook and uh, we're interactive haven't been as interactive in the last few weeks but we'll get it going again in um in 2020 so look forward to that uh thanks for everyone for listening and uh we'll see y'all next time peace i've been on the spiritual cleanse lately can't tell a man because the man's think you crazy they shady don't come around me trying to play me because i am nothing sweet don't compare me to sadie the difference when you elevate your thinking you knew better you do better this ship is never sinking i'm always on the rise First step is believing, then I execute the plan with the power of my breathing. Please bring the mindset from all of your achievements. God gave me power, that's like even more the reason. Plenty late nights, early mornings in this season. I be stressed by noon, so I meditate in the evening. Oh God, yeah. my God, where do I find the minds that's like minds? You say you hope I succeed, that's likewise. Well, I hope you do recover for whatever you've been going through. Yeah. Yeah. My God. Where do I find the minds that's like minds? You say you hope I succeed, that's likewise. Well, I hope you do recover for whatever you've been going through. Been going through, been going through. What you going through? You going through.